Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. You know, the last few weeks we've looked at the prodigal son. We looked at the the pursuit. It's been kind of overtitled the pursuit, the pursuit of pleasure of the younger selfish son. Last week we looked at the pursuit of peace by the forgiving father. This week we're going to look at the pursuit of preeminence with the bitter older brother. As we open up to Luke 15, we find that Jesus again is being criticized by the religious leaders for befriending the lost. Grumbling, as they said, the men, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They had a hardened heart towards sinners, towards the lost. The answer is critics. We've been looking at the last few weeks is Jesus is sharing three parables, or actually the last four weeks, to demonstrate God's desire is to reconcile with sinners. He wants to bring them together to himself. He wants to gather them in. Remember, the Apostle Paul tells us that in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. In other words, restoring that which went wrong at the fall. This is the story of the Bible, as we've talked about. The prince who slays the dragon and wins the girl. As we see that God created all things, but then there was the the fall. And then we see that God had brought his son, sent his son for the redemption. And that's where we are in this story is the redemptive part, the theme, the redemptive theme of the story of the Bible. These parables are going to show us how far God will go to go uh, in which he would go to great lengths to reconcile a sinner to himself. And that it's God himself who actively searches finds and cares for the lost. It's not that the lost are looking for him, for the Bible says none seek after God. No, not one. But it's it's God who seeks after that which has gone astray, which is lost, which is run away. Again, the key to understand parables is remember that they're just simple stories with a single point. They consist of spiritual truths found in ordinary stories that you and I can understand and and be familiar with and, and comprehend. They were usually illustrations of taken from everyday life. They were a way of telling the story that calls for a response on the part of the hearer. And so it was not more than just telling a fun story to entertain people or to just give them some information, but it was for them to respond to. And so the same way, as you and I are listening and reading to this story of the prodigal son, it's not for us to say, oh, well, this was an interesting part of, of, of Jesus' ministry. What an entertaining way of sharing information about him. No, even today, as you and I read this story and as we listen to the preaching and teaching, the Holy Spirit is calling for you to respond to these very words if you, as if you were sitting there listening to Jesus himself. You and I are not giving it out saying, oh, we're just reading something that happened in the past. This is something that the Holy Spirit is working through now. And so as we read this story once again, remember, you need to put yourself in the place of those original hearers. But the key to understand is discovering the original audience to whom they were spoken. In this case, the hearers were the religious leaders who had hardened their heart against people. 
And we need to understand why is it that they hardened their hearts against those that they would say were tax collectors and sinners, those that were far removed from the good favor of God. To them, people really didn't matter. They could care less. What God is showing here is that Jesus is a friend to sinners and he calls all, including sinners, to repentance as well as the religious leaders and also to rejoice in the grace given by God to undeserving sinners. Now, again, as we come here, you're going to see that the, the Pharisees, their problem was is they did not believe in the grace of God. They did not uh, like it. They did not understand it. They did not want God's grace given to those that they considered outside. Why? Because as we're going to see, they believed that the way to find favor with God is to do all the aspects of the law and the traditions that they had set up. So for them, they did not want God's grace. And many times you and I are the same way. How many of us would be upset or frustrated or angry if you can think of maybe the worst sinner in, in your family or, or, or in your neighborhood or just maybe someone that you just think this is someone who deserves hell? Do we not think that sometimes? This perfect, How would we feel if that person that we believe deserved hell found the grace of God? Many of us too would object, say that's not fair. We'd become skeptical. We would find ways to deny that. We do that many, many times. Many times you and I are Pharisees ourselves. So just as a matter of view, we see the shocking reaction of the forgiving father last week. As we saw that the father, whose son had, had said, I, I, I'm better off with you, dad. The son, or the father instead, had been looking and waiting for the son that he expresses an intense emotions, intense emotions when his son returns. Remember, he runs to him. He, he embraces him. He kisses him. He, he kills the fatted calf and has a celebration. And he restores his younger son back into the family as his son and celebrates that his son returns. Now, we saw that there were two spiritual truths. One, that the son, the prodigal son, who this is named after, is an object lesson about true repentance. And that the father is an object lesson about true forgiveness. But as we consider this, this, this parable, it's called the parable of the prodigal son. However, the emphasis, the point of this parable is not really on the prodigal son. It's really misnamed. And it's not even about the forgiving father. You see, this parable, really, the focus, the key of this parable is about the bitter older brother. And so that's where we want to read today. I believe it might be here on the monitor, but again, I encourage you to bring your Bibles. Luke chapter 15, we're at verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. Remember, there's a celebration going on. And as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now look at the reaction, the response of the brother. But he was angry and he refused to go in. I have served you and I have never disobeyed your commands, yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours came, listen to the, the bitterness that's dripping off his tongue. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, and you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said, I'm son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And so were such as we, Lord. I pray that you give us wisdom and discernment as we now come to the focus, the, the pivotal point of this story, this parable. Father, there may be many of us in this last passage. We may be looking at a mirror this morning. If so, Lord, I pray that you would convict our hearts to see that and that we respond to the Spirit's pull to come and to drink deeply of you. Lord, I pray that you open up our minds and hearts. Let us receive this familiar passage with maybe new eyes, spiritual eyes, a new heart, ready to respond to your work. Again, we thank you for Luke, his hard work in, in keeping these accounts. Lord, that it's here for our edification and for your glory, your name. Amen. I want to make three observations. Number one, we see that the older son is a hard worker. There are some good things about this older brother that you and I should emulate, that we should celebrate, that we should point out. This is a, this is a good thing. He was, an old, he was a very hard worker, as you see. He was in the field working. Now, his, his younger brother had taken off and spent all of his money, but here's the younger or the older brother. He's out there doing the hard work. Unlike his younger brother, this one was a hard worker. We find him out in the fields doing his part. He was like Esau. Remember Jacob and Esau? Esau was a man of the field. He loved to get his hands into the soil. He was not some manager or some man that lived in his house and then just told his servants he was out there doing the work, overseeing it. The fact that he did not know what was going on leads us to believe that the father's lands were probably extensive and large enough since he didn't even know what was going on until he got closer to the house and heard the music and had to ask the question, what, what's going on? He did not even know that his brother had returned or that his father had not even sent for him. He was probably some distance away and he took some time to finally reach the house. He's not pursuing pleasure as the younger son did, but he's working the land and earning his keep. He's not taking the, his money and running. No, he, he kept the lands and he's working it, building a legacy, pouring his heart into it. So he's a hard worker. But number two, the second observation, as we look at verse 28, we see the response to his father's forgiveness of the younger son with anger. He was angry and he re, Refused to go in. You can, you can almost see the, the pity party that's going on there, the, the impudence. I'm not going in. There's no way. I'm not washing up. I'm not dressing up. Not for him. Why, why is he even allowed in the house? His father had to come out and beg him to come in. His response to his brother's return and father's forgiveness is anger and refusal to join in. His resentment is plain to all, especially in his verbal exchange with his father. And I mentioned, just, just read it again. You can hear the bitterness coming out. I, Look, these many years, I have served you. These are accusations that he's throwing into his father's face. I have never disobeyed your command. Now, now that, that's a big statement. I never, right? I've never done anything 
against you. Yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate. But when this son of yours, see how he says this son of yours, it's not even his brother, this son of yours, your spite. He he doesn't like this kid, his younger brother. Doesn't even want to uh, acknowledge him as his brother. This son of yours comes who's devoured your property, who prostitutes. I've worked hard for you, but he's devoured what you have. I've been building up what you've given me. I don't know if you noticed it, but he responds with self-righteousness and bitterness. Look at me. Look how good I've been. Look how faithful. Look how devout I've been to you. Compare. He thought he deserved better. He deserved the praise, the celebration, and the best feat that he was given to his brother. He had worked hard and not disobeyed like his younger brother. He felt, like many do, underappreciated. He's the one that has stayed home. He's been the one that's been working out in his fields, being sunburned. His father had not even given him a goat. Now remember, in those days, meat was not part of a, a normal meal. There would be a fatted goat, and you see this many times, and there was always a fatted goat or a cow or cattle or something that they would keep for special occasions, religious holidays, a special guest, so on and so forth. He says, you've never even given me to me and my friends for my hard work. You've never acknowledged that. This thing's always been sitting here, just being fatted up, waiting for something special. But you never have once given me and my friends this calf so that we could enjoy. What about my birthdays? What about the holidays I've done? What about just celebrating me? It's having a pity party. In the older brother's mind, fairness is the main issue. And he demands justice. Just like the Pharisees did, they, justice to them was that the tax collectors and sinners that Jesus is seen with should be condemned, should be avoided, should be held in contempt. As they're listening to the story and they heard the, 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 the doings and the actions of the younger brother, in their mind they're thinking, this man deserves to be killed. That's why they were shocked as he did what he did, but even more shocked as the father then forgives the son, instead of stoning him, of, of legally putting him to death, he receives the son and restores him. To them, they're scandalized by this. And this is what's happening to this, this bitter older brother. He is scandalized by what his father is doing. He believes that even though he's celebrating the younger son, in a sense, what he's doing is he's decelebrating, if that's a word or a term. If not, Shakespeare made up words, I will too is he's criticized, he's hurting his older son. He's demeaning him in his own eyes. Like the Pharisees, he believes his brother deserves nothing and he should be the one that should receive the attention, the adulation, the celebration. It's worth pointing out here again that the father is the one that initiates reconciliation. It is the father who leaves the party, leaves his younger son, goes out to find out where is my older son. Please come in. It's always the initiation of the father. He pleads with him to come and join in. So not as the older son a hard worker, good, good thing, but then we see he responds with forgiveness, his father's forgiveness with anger because he believes he deserves it. 
But then number three, the third observation in this passage is the father points out the error in the older son's attitudes. So here's where we're getting to the meat of what Jesus is trying to tell the Pharisees. Look at verse 31 again. He says, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. And that's, that's true. That's true not only practically, but legally. All that the father has would go to the older son. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead in his life. He was lost and is found. Now when he uses that word fitting, that means it's binding. It was necessary. It was proper. It was inevitable. Celebration and reconciliation is required. It was fitting. This was the right way for us to respond, not to this older son. Now, now that we, we should throw him into a barn. We should make him a farm worker. We should make him a day worker if we allow him to do anything. But the father say, no, it is fitting. It is right in what we're doing. You see, the father responds to the older son by pointing out that your attitude here is wrong. Your perception of what I'm doing and what has happened here is wrong. And your anger is wrong. It is misplaced. You see, the bitter brother is so enamored with his own position and his own selfishness does it, that he doesn't see the need of his younger brother who needed res- uh, reconciliation and restoration and the love of the father. Did he deserve that? No. But was he in need of it? Yes. Remember, the younger son was willing to say, hey, I'll, be a, I'll just be a farm worker. I'll come and be one of your hired hands. It was the father's initiative to bring him back into the family, to receive him as one. It's always important. You see, the father gives the son what he truly, uh, not what he needs, or not what he desires, but what he needs. The father kindly tells him, that all that he has is still the older brothers and that their relationship is still very important to him. However, they have now received this younger son back and reconciliation is more important than perceived slights. And how many times do we do that with God ourselves? Why does God give more mercy and, 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 and uh, grace to others? Why, why do they have more faith? Why do they have more talents? And, and we get bitter about what God is doing. That's what's happening to the Pharisees. Why would Jesus eat with these people? These people are contemptible. They should not have God's favor. But Jesus said, no, I'm going to bring them into the fold like the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. I'm going to bring them in. I'm going to actively search and find them in. But the Pharisees are saying, but we've been here all the time. But you're not eating and drinking with us. We are the ones that you should be spending your time with. Not these fishermen, not that tax collector, not that zealot. We should be your disciples. But yet, as you follow here, time and time again, they're rejecting the gift. See, Jesus goes to the, fair, or to the sinners and the tax collector. He says, all I have is myself. I'm going to give you. But yet they reject. Christ is not all they need. See, they need their own self-determination, their own self-righteousness. So now we come to that third spiritual truth. The first one was, we saw that the younger son is an object lesson about true repentance. 
The father is an object lesson about or true repentance, while the father is an object lesson about true forgiveness. The older son, here's the key, the older son is an object lesson about self-righteousness. I've been with you at all times. I have never forsake you. I have worked hard. I have never been given this. There's a self-righteous attitude. Now, as we come to the end of this parable, we see that the father is joyful, the younger son is grateful, but the older son is angry and bitter. We also see this in this parable, open sin and secretive sin. The younger son was openly rebellious and selfish, while the older son, in essence, was really no better than the younger son. His sin, the older son, was bitterness. It was hiding under the surface. The younger son's sin was rebellion and it was out in the open. But the older son was just as sinful as the younger son. He just hid it better. And how many of us know that we can do that well? There are open sins. There are hidden sins. And this is what's really going on. He was no better than the younger brother. You see, the bitter brother focuses on himself. He makes comparisons. He demands justice and is angry when mercy was given. He's not realizing that repentance yields God's kindness. As the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 2, God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance, to, to following Christ. Without repentance, there is no salvation. And so he's angry that his, son, that his younger son has been accepted because of repentance. Timothy Keller, in his book, The Prodigal God, Recovering the Heart of Christian Faith, he observes this. I believe it might be on the monitor for you. And this is something important. He says, neither son, neither the younger son or the older son, loved the father for himself. Get that. Neither son loved the father because he was the father. They both were using the father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and serving him for his own sake. See, the older brother was fine loving his father, so to speak, and serving his father as long as his father kept doing what he wanted him to do, as long as it was built on his own self-righteousness. It's his acceptance of me because I am a good, hardworking son. And we need to understand, and hold this up just a minute, we talked about it in a different way, is where you and I love the gifts, but not the givers. Let's put it down even a little bit lower shelf, maybe that we can understand it. It's the same way, and, and I'm going to take a marriage as an example. Many times as spouses, we love our spouses for the things they can do for us, Right? So I'll just pick on us men. Men, we, we love our wives because they clean for us. They take care of us. They help us with the kids. You know, you, men, by the way, this is shown when men says, oh, I have to babysit the kids tonight. It's why would a man have to babysit his own kids? You're your kids. You don't babysit your own kids. But that's the mindset. So we love our wives. For, we love our wives when they give us intimacy. And so we do things for them. 
so that they may do that for us. In the same way, a woman may give intimacy, do those things, as long as the man loves her and respects her and so forth. What happens when a marriage, when that doesn't happen? What if all of a sudden, men, <clears throat> if your wife took ill, she was, de de uh, I almost said decapitated, but that's not the word, because that, that would just really ruin everything. But she was in a place where she was incapacitated. That she could not cook and clean for you. She could not take care. She could not be intimate. How much then would you love your wife? And vice versa. See, many times we too are guilty of loving the gifts, but not the giver. And we've spoken about that with God. We love the gifts of God, but not God himself. Scripture speaks of that. The world loves oxygen. They love the nature. They love all the things that God gives us, but yet they neglect him. They overlook him. They deny his very presence. And that's what's going on here. Both of the sons really were self-involved. And they only cared for the father as much as he met their needs. And once that stopped, then they were ready to bail. And that's what's happening with this bitter brother. He himself is ready to bail on his father because his, now his father, is, he's disapproving of how his father is responding. We can understand in this parable, again, looking on the monitor, that the younger son represents those that have rebelled against the loving God, but, uh, but have found reconciliation and repentance. So you, there, there is two of us in here today, or maybe listening to us today. I pray that the majority of you are like me, in which you are the younger son. You represent those that have rebelled against a loving God, but God has found, we have found reconciliation in repentance and found God's mercy and grace. That's the tax collectors and the sinners. That's those who are now Christ's followers. The second one, we see the Father who represents our Heavenly Father who grants us forgiveness and reconciliation. But uh, there's another character here. And the third character in the story is the older son. And he represents those that have rebelled against a loving God but continue to trust in their own self-righteousness. And just hold that up there for a minute. Which one are you? You're not the middle one. I pray that you're of the younger son. But there may be some of you that are still here this morning. You say you love God, but yet you rejected his grace and mercy. And you are determined to try to make it to heaven or to find God's favor in your own good works and your own self-righteousness. You see, the anger and indignation of the scribes and the Pharisees or the repentance of the tax collectors and sinners show them to be the older brother. That's the whole point of this parable is not the first two characters, but the last one. Who's re who, re who, 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 I'm sorry, I'm all over the place here. Who, who rejects the grace and mercy of the Father. They're bitter. They say, no, we should find favor with God on by our own works. That's many today. To be honest, that's Roman Catholicism. That's many religions today. 
is you earn salvation by your own works. And they're bitter about any type of grace and mercy. And let there be no talk of repentance in their view. Keller goes on to write that this means that you can rebel. Listen to this. That you can rebel against God and be alienated from him either by breaking his rules or by keeping them all diligently. Let me say that again. You can actually rebel against God and be alienated from him either by breaking his rules, right? Like the younger son. Or by keeping them all diligently like the older son. This is a shocking message. Careful obedience to God's law may serve as a strategy for actually rebelling against God is what he says. This is why Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians, examine your heart to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? You and I need to understand that. <clears throat> there are many people who will profess Christ, who say that they will live righteous lives, but want nothing to do with the message of the gospel. They're more determined to live life in their way and find favor with God by their own self-works rather than the works of Christ. Or there might be some here that say, well, yeah, I, I go to church, I read my Bible, I, I give money, <coughs> I do all these things, and so that makes me a good Christian. All you're doing, if that's your mindset, is you're just echoing the words of the, old, of the older brother who says, I've been with you all this time, and I've, made, I've never disobeyed your commands. What does the Bible say? If any man says he has no sin, he makes what? God a liar. For we all sin. Hence why repentance is not just a one-time event, but a moment-by-moment but a -moment way of living, of confessing. And understand that you and I need to pray for more grace and more faith. I love that song about all, about, uh, I ask the Lord that I might grow. And in it, that's what you and I need to do. You see, you and I need more of God's grace each and every day. Now, should I sin more so I can have more of God's grace? No. But God has given us a measure of grace that covers us when we sin. And so you and I ought to pray for that. Lord, give me more grace. My life is a mess. I am struggling. I need more of your mercy and grace. I know I do not deserve it. But then there's some of us that say, God, give me more grace. You know I deserve it. I've been good. I went to church. I did this. I did that. I deserve more grace. I deserve more of your favor. That's a self-righteous attitude. But then you and I also need to pray, give us more faith. Faith is not something that you and I conjure. That itself is a gift of God. Faith is our confident trust in the person of Christ, the person of God. Lord, give me more greater measure of faith that I may trust you more, that I may be more confident in you. Even when things are difficult, help me in that way. Too many times you and I, even as professing Christians, we may be the prodigal son, but many two times we think and act with the heart and the attitude, the thought processes of the older brother thereby calling ourselves Pharisees.
Now let's remember that this, paris, this parable is not told to the tax collectors and the sinners. He's not speaking to prodigal sons, so to speak. He's speaking to Pharisees who've been complaining that Jesus is receiving sinners. This makes them the older brother. The older brother is the key to this parable. To the Pharisees, this is not appropriate or uh, correct. This is sinful that Jesus is doing this. Their hearts were hardened to those that they considered beneath them. Take your Bibles and turn quickly. If you're in Luke, just Luke 18. Look at 18. We see here the attitude of the Pharisees. The very same thing that we're seeing here. This here is, again, the bitter brother in a different type of way. Look at Luke 18. Look at verse 9. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, the bitter brother, and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What do you see there? You see a prodigal son and you see a bitter brother, don't you? One who says, Lord, just give me grace. The other says, I deserve all of God's favor because of what I've done. The older son adopts the position of the Pharisees. John MacArthur writes that the Pharisees' chief error lay in their belief that they did deserve God's favor because of who they were and what they did. He goes on to note that Jesus used the parable of the prodigal son to illustrate and unmask the Pharisees' hypocrisy. That's what's being attacked here. That's what's being taught through this parable. They are the older son. They are the bitter, angry brother standing at the mercy of the father. But even here, you see that the father says, come in. He's willing to accept his older son. You can see this attitude even today. Former mayor of New York, Michael Bloomberg, I'm not sure many of you, some of you might remember him. He's an activist for a number of causes. And as a result, he believes that he is a shoe-in for heaven. In one New York Times report, I believe it's here on the monitor, pointing to his work on gun control, safety, obesity, and smoking cessation, he said with a grin, I am telling you that if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Hold that up there. How many people have that same attitude? You've heard me say the the, the question from uh, Evangelism Explosion. If you were to stand before Christ at the pearly gates, at at the gates of heaven, And he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? And I'd ask you this now. In your mind, don't answer it out loud. What would your answer be? 
If your answer is Bloomberg, let's say, Jesus, out of the way, I've already earned it. That's what he's pretty much saying. Jesus, get out, get out of my way. I've already earned my spot. I see my, I see my mansion right over there. You can almost imagine Jesus grabbing him by the cuff of the neck and throwing him back out. What a long drop that will be. I pray that he repents of this and that Michael Bloomberg would come to know the wonderful grace and mercy of God. Amen? But I pray our people will too because I'm afraid that some may profess Christ but still have this attitude. My grandma was a Christian. My mom was a Christian. I've been to Christian schools. I've been to Christian churches all my life. I've done everything that they've told me to do. And you can do that, but still feel the flames of fire at your feet. As God says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Please, my friends, let us not be of the bitter brothers. Let us not join with the Pharisees. Let us not join with the folly of saying, if there is a God. I'm getting straight in. Can't bank on that. See, this former governor, he's clinging, or mayor, he's clinging to self-works, self-righteousness, and self-justification. This attitude leads to death. This self-righteousness shows in how he views those who do not agree with him on policy and politics. And we're seeing this very often. If you don't agree with me, then we're going to cancel you. We're going to ridicule you. We're just, we're just going to get rid of you. How many of us have this same attitude? If you don't worship as I do, if you don't sing the songs that I do, if you don't read the translations that I do, if you don't do the things that I do, if you don't wear your hair the same way as I do, if you do this, if you don't do that, we can adopt the Pharisees and still have a religious uh, flavor to it all. That was the whole mantra of the Pharisees. They'd wrapped everything up in a religious fever. They had the law on their side, so they believed. But as Jesus tells them, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Do you consider yourself the lost? Those who are well, he says, have no need of a physician. But those who are sick came not to call the righteous, but sinners. My friends, I pray that you would see yourself that once you were lost and sick, but now you've been found and healed. For that's who Jesus came. If we want to know if Jesus came and will save you, then are you lost and are you sick or were you at once lost and sick? Self-righteousness does not love the sinner nor the grace that God freely offers. Hence why many are against the free grace of God. John MacArthur makes clear the central and culminating lesson of this parable. Jesus is pointing out the stark contrast between God's own delight in the redemption of sinners and the Pharisees' inflexible hostility towards those same sinners. So do you want to know if you're the prodigal son or if you're the bitter brother? How do you respond to the lost? Are you ready to share within the gospel? Are you ready to celebrate when they come to know Christ? Or do you say, well, I've got mine. They they just get what they deserved. That's going to show truly what your heart is. Though the younger son is important to the story, his redemption is not the main point. Rather, this parable serves as a mirror for every human heart and conscience that will reflect either God's love 
for fallen sinners or a human hardness and arrogance that would deny that such hardened sinners could ever know his love. And here's the thing that I want us to impress, that I want to impress upon us. How do we view those in life around us? Whether they're politicians that we disagree with, maybe a, a co-worker that gives us problems, who's, who's loudmouth and whose politics and cultural just drives us crazy, maybe a family member that's, that's causing us uh, discomfort. Do we want them to get what they deserve or do we want them to receive the mercy of God? Turning back to Luke chapter 15, verse 7, 10, and 32, we see the joy of redemption, of God giving grace to those that were lost. In verse 7, he says, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. In verse 10, he says again, there is, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then in verse 32, It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and alive. He was lost and is found. So were once, were we. So let us join all of heaven in sharing the good news of reconciliation and restoration by celebrating the merciful grace of our loving Father. Can we do that? Can we receive it? And can we find joy in sharing that with others and celebrating when they too come to know Christ? Consider this. You and I are either the younger prodigal son who pursues after pleasure only, re only to repent of our sin and accept the grace of of a mercy and a loving Father who offered us reconciliation and restoration when we recognize our true condition and turn back to Him. Or we are the older, bitter brother who pursues acceptance through his own self-righteousness acts and rejects the grace and mercy of the Father. I pray that that be you. In doing so, we placed our souls in mortal danger and are rejected by the Father. I pray that you are the first, not the second. So would you come to the Father in humbleness, confessing your sin and repent? Would you celebrate the grace that God has given to the lost? Can you not trust in your own self-righteousness, but recognize that your works are of no value, eternal value? And do not let the spirit of bitterness infect your heart and prevent you from sharing the gospel and celebrating and God calls another sinner back into the fold. I'm going to ask for their head bowed and I every close. The worship team comes up as well as Randy. Again, I just want you just to pause for a moment. Consider this portion, this parable. A new, fresh. Jesus here is attacking the Pharisees. Trying to bring them to understand the wonderful grace of God and how the joy of the Father in bringing sinners back. I pray that you have not yet come to Christ, that you would do so today. Would you repent? Come to Randy and I. We would love to share with you how you can know that you can have salvation, how you too can be one of the prodigal sons, knowing that God forgives all manner of sins, all matter. God is bringing, actively looking and searching for you. Be not like the bitter brother. Even as a Christian be praying that God's grace would extend even to the Michael Bloombergs of the world 
those that detest you, those that hate you, ridicule you, that hate your values. We should be praying and celebrating when God brings them to Christ. Consider these words, pray, and ask the Holy Spirit how you should respond to his word this morning. Randy, would you come and close us with our pastor's prayer? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.